are you prepared to put that jersey on back? I said, yes, cowboy. I, he said, no, no, are you prepared to put that jersey on? So I said, well, I said, what do you mean? He said, if you're not prepared to piss blood for that jersey, go home. Holding my head again Making my way through crowded thoughts Sometimes it's hard to get out of it Okay, team, let's do this. Um, hello and welcome to this, I would say this week's episode of Please Blow My Mind, but it is this edition. I've, I've, I've taken a break. I took a break. I mean, if you're just listening to the episode before this and then you come to this one, then there's been no break. But in reality, in the world where time passes a second at a time, I've taken a, a little bit to just process life. Um, I guess firstly I'm doing okay for those who know me who are inside I guess the circle um, yeah we had some very sad and bad news recently my dear mother her name was Rita she passed away and it's been something that has truly blown my mind because it made me realize that that is part of this human experience, the experience of losing hmm, the person who created you. That is a portal that you will only walk through once. And yeah, I, I will say that it's been an extremely sad time, but also an enlightening time of trying to uh, deal with it and to find light in the dark as I have attempted to do over my whole podcasting career to find the meaning to the pain to find the meaning of the light and I guess the pursuit of everything in between so yeah I guess in that is why I wanted to post this podcast with the late Vainga Tuingamala Inga the winger, because he too recently passed, and I didn't know how to share the conversation that I'm going to share with you today, but I guess in light of everything, I want to share it because I hope that it brings a pathway forward, I hope that it provides you the audio listener or the video listener or the listener in general with hope, with lessons, with a way to with a way to better understand um, this life we live. So yeah, that's the intent of this episode. It was um, a really interesting episode with well it was an interesting day. When uh, f from memory, uh, Inga called me and he was like, Hey, Will, come over with your camera. Uh, Buck Shelford's coming over. We're going to have a, a feed together. And man, I was out the door and I drove there. And, and it was, it was like a kid in a candy store sitting with heroes and listening to the stories of, of the generations past and, and the pathways of the generations forward. And the part that I'm going to share with you today in the podcast is a part where Inga sat down with Buck Shelford for this awesome chat. 
about life, about love, about loss. Um, a truly mind-blowing moment in my podcasting career that I never really thought would be shared in this way. But in honor of those who are no longer with us, I bring you this um, historic, tiny little bit of archive from Inga the Winger. Love to you all. Hug. Hug your mothers if you can. Take care. Bringing out the fire, bring on all the lightning. Cause I'm looking for a hero, look inside the mirror. I find one. Oh, carry the hurt when it gets too hard. Pick it up, dust it off. When I fall down 11, I get up 12. Don't need nobody else. Yeah, I can save myself. We got an opportunity to sit down with the man himself and just have a good little casual conversation. <laughs> Sir Wayne Thomas Shelford. Or oh, Tomati. 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 And uh, you know, tell me tell me what it's like being knighted this year on the uh, honours list. I mean, not very many New Zealanders get that opportunity and that privilege. And, you know, as a Māori yourself. Oh, it's pretty, you know, one of those big words, gobsmacked. That I got this honor. Yeah. And so, where did this come from? And uh, I take it back a little bit. I was actually surfing the net and I, my emails, especially looking for my emails, and I was, I, I was missing something. I don't know what it was. I was looking for an invoice. And then I went into my uh, spam looking for my invoice. It might have bounced in there or something like that. And then I saw this thing, you know, this letter from the New Zealand government. And I thought, the hell is that? So I, I said, I, I, I got it across, and I only read the headline, and it was from the government house. And I said, oh, is this spam or what? <laughs> if I opened out, what, would, what could happen? So I, I rang up my wife, and I said, I, I found this email in spam, and it's from the New Zealand uh, government house. What do you think that could be? And she said, oh, I don't know, she says. And uh, basically, um, uh she said, wait till I get home, I'll go home tomorrow, and uh, I'll come and I'll open it with you. And so we went over, we brought it back across the inbox, and then we, we opened it, and I was just thinking, Jesus, hopefully it's not, not spam, you know, where it's going to really infect my computer. Yeah. And uh, it didn't. And I opened it up, and all of a sudden, here's an invitation. So we've, you know, it's been brought to our attention that we'd, you know, sort of thing, like to honour you with a, a knighthood. Wow. And I went, Wow. I wonder who put this in, you know? <laughs> and my wife turned around and says, well, I had a little bit to do with it, you know? Because <laughs> she was tapped on the shoulder by a few people in in the Māori world that said, why isn't your husband a sir? You know, all the work that you do in the community, why isn't he there now? And uh, friends of ours, and they're both professors, and they went out of their way and just, just tapped my wife and said, who are all the organisations that your husband is part of? And there's about 12 or 13 organisations that yes. I do things for, you know, and, and New Zealand Defence Force patron, you know, Navy patron of Navy rugby, and then there's all these other ones as well. And and so they, and they just couldn't believe how many organisations I go and do things for. Yes, yes. And, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know how long it took them to put it all together, but, you know, being professors, they can write a letter. <laughs> <laughs>
So uh, seeing this letter, it took me three weeks to make my mind up Wow. whether to take it on. I asked a few people, and they said, yes, you need to take it. It's not just for you. It's for all the people who are with you. Yes. You know, beside you all your all your life. Yes. And you're you're working with them to help them, you know? <clears throat> and by having that, that sir in front of your name will help these organizations as well. Because you know? it's not something that you, you go looking for. No. no as 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 sportsman, you don't go, Oh, I do this because I think I can be a I'm gonna be honored in the Queen's yeah. you know, birthdays list. No. Because you know, I when I when I got a hold of the news and I was in Samoa, I said, Well, it couldn't happen to a wonderful guy because like you said, you you're a patron of many other organisations, and and it's all about servanthood. And as 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 long as I can remember, your whole life is all about serving your family, your whanau, your your country as a captain of the the mighty All Blacks. Um, and so it, it's only fitting, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, it, like I said, we don't go looking for it. It's not. A, it's, I don't class it as a burden. I think it's an honour, yes. a real honour. It's not a burden. But the thing is, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I'm still going to be me. I'll still go down to my job site with shorts, T-shirts and the jandals on, yes. you know, and all those sorts of things. And uh, in the winter, I'll probably have a swan dry on, you know, all those <laughs> sort of things. You're not going to change me. Yes. But the thing is, when I get up and I go out, uh, you know, I can wear that honour. You know, but it's a, it's, a, it's a vehicle that you can use, like you said, you know, mm. your friends and families are saying yeah. that you can help do more things for yes, that's your, right. your yeah. people, isn't it? And, uh, you know, just uh, this is all the things that uh, in the organisations I work for, you know, there's, they've got their goals and ambitions, what they, where they'd like to be. and and uh, But sometimes in some of the health areas, it's a big tucky, so they just need support all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, just new ways of raising money, you know, Prostate Cancer Foundation, all those sort of things. LeVar. Yes. You know, which is mental youth suicide, health, yes. mental health, you know, all that sort of stuff. And JK does the mental health side of things yes. quite in a big way. And it just, you know, adds some, adds some real mana to that, to that uh, organization as well. But yeah. um, I remember as far back in 87, prior to the World Cup uh, happening, and, and I was still at school. I was at Carlson Boys High School. And, and I remember Sir Graham Henry was part of the promotion of the World Cup year. Um, we had some of you guys come over, you know, and you were one of them, and, and John Kerwin and Grant Fox came to our school and addressed our, our assembly and what it's going to be like in the next few months to, to represent New Zealand. And I remember the buzz that went around the school when you guys mm-hmm. turned up, you know, and and I always remember, <clears throat> you know, leadership is something that you're used to and some people say you're born a leader. I don't necessarily believe in that because there's something you gotta you gotta earn along the way and you've always been one that you've always earned your right to to, to, to lead from the front. Yeah, well I never I, I didn't I wasn't a leader at school. <clears throat> I never captained a team until I actually got into the military. Wow. You know? So that was senior rugby. Twenty ones, eighteens. I never captained the team at all. There was other people doing that because they were probably better at it. Yes. <clears throat> but when I got um, I got into the military, I started, I captained a couple of teams there. Yes. But then when I went to North Shore, then I took over as captain after Brad Johnson retired. Wow. And uh, I, I didn't have it long because I went to there and went to North Shore in 81. Brad retired after 81 and then he became coach in 82. And I got the captaincy in 82 and I only held it to 84. I gave it to Russell Jones. So I was not going to be, oh, when I made the All Blacks, I was never going to be here. So I said, you take over and, you know, I'll just support you. 
You're so missing. You're missing the, the the years that you played for Auckland prior to. to well, yeah, well, I played for Auckland, and you know, but there were some great leaders, you know, in yes. that team. And uh, I just enjoyed being around the guys of Glenn Rich and Andy Hayden, you know, all those older guys. Mm. There were some really great guys, and I really enjoyed learning off them. And I just watched them, watched and listened. It didn't say much. You know, Joe and I used to sit, you know, in the front of the bus, probably two seats back from the front. We they used to get on the bus and we'd hide out two and a four. They'd, they'd finish all these and I'd say, where's all the booze? Well, I don't know, nothing down here, yeah. you know. And then we'd, Joe and I'd be drinking all the way back from Waikato up north by ourselves, quietly up the front. Yeah. You know, because we went and we were, we, we come through the grades together, Joe and I. Yes. And uh, great guy. Yes. Great man. And, uh, <clears throat> and something is, um, and I think you learned things off guys like Andy. Yes. You know, um, you know, uh, even when I played against guys like um, Andy Dalton, you know, for for counties and things like that, I played a lot of Māori football. But then, when I was playing the Auckland grade football, when I first made the Auckland Māori prems, and that was pretty early in the piece. Eighty, it was about 70, 77, 78, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And I was playing, and I was on the bench, and then I made the Māori All Blacks, you know, the, in 80, 81 for the Springboks. Yes, game. that's right, and. Uh, so I was, I was captaining by this, you know, having a few runs at captain. And uh, basically, we had, my coaches were Mackie Hirawini, Walker Nathan, Gee. Pat Walsh, and Albie Pryor. Wow. And for a young Māori boy from Rotorua, you're amongst four Legends. top yeah. Auckland rugby players, yeah. All Blacks, Māori All Blacks. Yes. You know, you couldn't do anything but learn off these guys. Mm. You know, and it was just an honour having those guys. You know, I got to know them quite well over those years too. Yes. And, uh, you know, always good to catch up with them and, and talk. And, you know, we've lost three of them now, I think. Yes, we've lost three of them. And uh, I think uh, Walker's still alive. Yeah. And so I think, but he's been off up The Black and Panther. Black Panther. The Black Panther, Walker Nathan. So I learned, you know, I learned a lot from those guys as well. And yeah. so when I'd come to take it over a team with all my military training, it became easy. It yes. really easy. You know, because you're always on leadership courses and developing. Yeah. And by the time uh, I was, I was a leading hand yes. uh, in '81. I was a petty officer. Uh, sorry, petty. I went to petty officer in '81. I had to drop my rank because I went. I had to drop my rank because you can't go on to. Uh, I had to change branch. I changed branches. I went to a phys ed teacher, so I went right back because there's no positions for POs in that branch at the time. <laughs> so I had to drop rank, and I was that rank for another bloody four years. Leadership is something that's close to your heart. and um, But, you know, there are leaders and then there are leaders. I mean, you, you look at your record as a captain of the All Blacks. You've never lost. I think, <clears throat> I think leading a good team, I think we learned a lot of lessons. Um, when I started captaining North Harbour, we started at the bottom, third division, and our players, our, our, our players it was only myself, Brad Johnson, uh, Gary Cunningham, and I think uh, Mike Mills were the only ones who had played for Auckland, Auckland B. Wow. All the rest had never played that level. So so when it came to North Harbour starting, it was up to us guys to bring these young ones through quickly, mm-hmm. and we had to. And so goes, but we played all the – we never pre-season games, we were all against first division sides. Yes. We didn't play the lower sides. You know, we wanted to learn quickly. We want to be back up in first division. Yes. You know, and it was our opportunity then to groom our All Blacks. Yes. And get, that was, Auckland was so big. Yes. There was 33 club teams in Auckland. 
So when we left, you went back down to, I think, 22, 22 23. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you've got 20, I think. Yeah. So, and in that time that we've um, been established, we've had 34 All Blacks, which proved the point that we can still get All Blacks out of both provinces yes. and be still be uh, competitive, competitive, you know, at the highest level. But, yeah. uh, I, you know, when I say leadership, I also talk about men with very few words. And you were on the rugby field. You weren't one to yell and scream and shout and, you know, but you had ways. And I remember as, a, as, a, as an all black myself, I had the privilege of playing on one of the games and one of the tours way back in 1989. And I was just this, this young kid out of school. And, and I remember, i never forget, it was a windy game in Wales. And uh, I remember your, your famous saying that really stuck to my head. There was two things that happened that day, you know. Uh, one was the win, we had to consider, but I remember we were having to really, it was a bit of a dogfight because we had the, the, you know, the elements to, to deal with. But you said these words, and <laughs> this is what he said. Boys, it's time to piss blood. And as a young kid, just think, how does that work? Or how does that happen, you know? So again, man, very few words, yet led from the front. Well, one of the things that <clears throat> I learned very early in the piece when I played my first game, when I went to put my jersey on, Cowboy Shaw said to me, are you prepared to put that jersey on, Buck? I said, yes, Cowboy. I, he said, no, no, are you prepared to put that jersey on? So well, I said, what do you mean? He said, if you're not prepared to piss blood for that jersey, go home. Wow. But he, had, he said it in a heavier version of that. And so they said, time to go home. Because he expected people to bleed for that jersey. And if you're not prepared to bleed for it, you might as well not be here. Because rugby is a tough game at the top. And you're going to be bleeding at times. And basically, in that game against Kinesley, that was a game that we needed to bleed. Yes. And we changed the dynamics. You know, we played with the wind in the first half. We took it. But we didn't have a big score at the halftime. And then we played into it in the second half. And we had to control the ball. And I remember, you know, saying to Grant Fox, don't kick the ball across the wind. Kick it into the eye. And the ball will come back to us. And he never thought it would happen, but mm. it did every time he kicked off, you know. And so we'd just graft and graft, and you and JK would come up and take the ball up, just like being wings from rugby league, take up that Take out the, the first fight. Two or three hits, you know. <laughs> and then get J, uh, um, Joe Stanley to do it as well. Yeah. Then all the foot follow, the forwards just blow over the top, and give it to one of the forwards, go over the top again. Then all of a sudden back to the forwards, pick and go, pick and go. Bring the backs back in, take it up, you know. And we just grind and grind. We grind them to the ground. You know, we actually won the game 11-3. You were lucky to get 11. They were lucky to get three. Yes. And so it was a tough game. You know, one of the toughest games I've been, especially for the torrential rain yes. and the, and the okay. wind. They were going to call it off because... They were. You know, in fact, the, the, the top stand, they, they actually blocked it off. They yeah, weren't allowed any people because it was a... It was, it was like a tornado. Well, it might not have actually lasted, actually. Yeah. We were very lucky. But the thing is, we got through and we won that game. Yeah. That tour also... Um, something changed in that tour. And as a young All Black watching every move, because you got to remember, you know, only a, a year or so back, I was still at school and I would idolize you guys, you know, in yeah. the team. And to find myself amongst this ball, I thought it was all quite overwhelming. But something else happened in that tour. And this is, this is just my version. The Haka. Yep. The haka was something that uh, I, you know, a lot of teams prior to this would just do the haka as if it's just a, another war chant. But 
you changed the haka. You brought mana back to the haka. You brought real meaning to what it's like to, you know, represent your 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 your, your country, your father papa, you know. And, uh, and 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 that for me, because I remember when I saw your veins almost bursting from the side of your neck, and 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 how you challenged, you know. In fact, I still remember when we were playing Ireland. I mean, tell tell us because whoever watched that game saw that we. The Irish actually came right up to our half, mm. uh, 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 the halfway line, you know, and eventually just came over the boundary line. Yeah, yeah they but did. We've, you know, I never seen you so worked up. Well, it's one of those things, I suppose. You know, it's um, the first time I'd played in Ireland myself, but I've played in England and Scot- uh, Scotland and Wales a lot. We've met Scotland out in New Zealand a lot, but we hadn't had played a lot of football against Ireland in those years. And so, going to Ireland was going to be a different kettle of fish. And, and uh, <clears throat> when we started doing that, huck, well, you know, the haka, bringing back the haka was very personal for me and haka. You know, we were both in the team at the same time back in 85. Yeah. And, and haka come to me and we were talking about it and saying, what do you reckon about doing the haka? Because the young fellas want to do it, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I said, hang on, haka, you know, what I want first, and you should do this as well, is what we want. Is we want total buy-in from the coaches and the players, because we had a lot of old players on that tour in 85, guys that didn't like doing it. And if we're not going to get buy-in, we're not going to do it, because I don't want them embarrassing our, our culture, because mm. they do it poorly. If they don't like doing it, we won't do it. Yeah. You know, So by 89, all our boys were pretty good at it. Yeah. You know, they were getting good at it. And so the thing is, you know, when they, they, they challenged us that day in the haka, we went forward you know, in the haka stance, with myself, Steve McDowell, I think, uh, who else was that? Zinzan went forward, yes. Fitzy went forward, and we all went forward on it, you know? And basically, we're here to play, man. We're not going to take it up. We're not going to take it, take anything from you guys. And so, and so, you know, it's about putting your, it's all about mark and respect. Yeah. And I think they realize that. And uh, a lot of people don't, they think it's a dance and it's aggressive and it doesn't bring anything to the game, but it does to us. Mm. You know, it does to us. It brings us. This is out of a respect for you yes. doing this. We're challenging you, but we respect you so much. That's why we're giving you the challenge, because you, you know, you have never beaten us. It's but there will come a time that you will beat us, mm. and that means you have won the challenge. Yes. But it never happened that day. Yes. You know, we beat them again, and uh, and so the thing is, so they've only just won their challenges. Well, I think it was 2019 they won yes. their, their, their first challenge against the All Blacks. Yes. And that means they fronted this game, they sent the challenge back as they always do the Irish, but they won it. They won that respect. And, you know, and we always had respect for them, but they won the respect of us, but they also won the respect of their people as well. Yeah. You know? I, I remember watching that game. Because it's not just it's not just for haka for, for games. You know, we, as you know, when we go to Tangihana, when you, you somebody important dies, a good friend who's, who's an All Black or something like that, well, that doesn't even matter if he's a good friend. You hucker him out. Yes. Just because he's your best mate or he's your pal and we play together and you honour him with a hucker. Yes. It's all about respect for the people, you know. It's just awesome. I, I mean, sitting here, Buck, I've just got goosebumps because I... I know exactly what you're, where you're coming from and what it means to us as Kiwis. It doesn't matter whether you're Samoan or, 
or Caucasian or Maori, but the fact that that haka does unite us, and it, you know, people say, oh, it's a psychological, yeah. so what? But like you said, it's out of respect for them, and it's, it's up to them whether they're going to stand up yeah. for the challenge or come forward. Yeah. And that day, that that Irishman, oh, what's his name? You would know. Well, it stood up to you, uh, Willie Anderson. Willie Anderson, yeah, and he played fantastically well that day too. And it was a physical, challenging I thought, test. I thought I'd broken my neck when I went down that, that kickoff. Yes, you're true. Or oh, I thought if it was a steel rod, just went straight through my neck, just felt like it, you know. And you know what? Years later, I had my head knocked a couple of times and after games, you know, games in the late ni- uh, 90s, mid-90s, when I was still playing. And if I get my head knocked to one side, I could feel that same burning sensation. Mm-hmm. So I believe I damaged nerves in my neck because this trap doesn't grow anymore. No matter what I do, yeah. it's never grown, you know. Wow. So I think I damaged uh, uh, nerves in my neck that particular day. But, you know, it is what it is, but it that is hasn't is. stopped me from doing anything. That's right. And you just get on with life and, uh, you know, just, you know, just the memories are great, you know, when you can tell your stories to, to yourself, people like yourself, and, and um, you know, people ask you these questions about your career, and, you know, just feel honoured. It's just, yeah. you know, out of respect, you tell the stories, and you've got to give it an honest to it view of yeah. of it and if, you know it's coming from the horse's mouth where yeah. you get the most honest you know some of those uh, some, <laughs> some of those stories they grow tails bro oh many tails I know yeah the fish was this big yeah and by the end of it all it was this big eh? yeah that's right yeah? huge um, yeah. talk about health okay you, you, and you've had your fair share of injuries uh, but you know recently you, you you had a bit of a health scare yourself and uh, tell me what actually happened and what was going through your mind? Well, I came back from oh, Japan in uh, 2006, December 2006, just before Christmas, I think two days before Christmas. And uh, we'd just been knocked out of our championship. So our season was basically over. and We'd basically tidied everything up anyway at work. So I just basically got on my plane the next morning and uh, flew home. And uh, my eye had started weeping up in Japan, my left eye. And so I went to the doctor when I got home, and so probably in the January after Christmas, because we had to deal with a few other things, issues at home with my business. And then um, went to the doctor in the January, late January, and then said, "Oh, we'll put some gel on. We'll see if it stops it." You know, that didn't work. Went back two or three weeks later, got some more cream for it. That didn't work. So they sent me to a, the doctor. Sent me to an ophthalmologist to get it, my eye, eye checked out. So I went there and he saw a little bump in the back of my eye socket. Not on the eye, but he checked out the eyeball and everything like that. And he said, that's good. But there's a little bump at the back, so we might do a uh, uh, biopsy on it. So he'd done a biopsy two days later. He put a bit of a needle in the back of the eye and pulled the piece out, you know. And he got back to me within 24 hours and he says, you got cancer. Wow. And then, you know, well, what sort of cancer is it, you know? So then I'd done a, so within 48 hours, because uh, I had health insurance, I got in very quickly to get a scan done. I saw Doc Mayhew. I rang him up. As soon as I walk, walked out of the optometrist, I rang him up straight away. Ran up John, and I said, John, I've just been diagnosed with some form of cancer. I don't know what it is. And he says, okay, I want you to get to me tomorrow, and we'll make an appointment to see the oncologist, ASAP, an oncologist. And so he got me in, pictures, MRI, whole body, and I was just riddled with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So where it come from, I don't know. But, you know, could it be due to stress of 
running a business in New Zealand, flying backwards and forwards to Japan seven or eight times a year, up and back, up and back, you know, backwards and forwards, and um, and running running the cutter up there as a head coach, and then basically, you know, falling over the stress on the body, all that time in the air, you know, doing two, two different jobs, everything was catching up, and I got belted in the ass, I suppose. And so I went through 12, uh, six months of chemo, no radiation, but chemo and, uh, you know, an up and down ride in regards to the chemo because they chucked as much crap into me as what they thought possible that I could handle and uh, got through all that. But, uh, you know, at the same stage, it was one of those things that uh, I didn't really want, really want to revisit. So I, I still today, as of today, I'm, that was back in 2000 and. Eight, yeah, two thousand seven. Sorry, two thousand seven. I went through that journey, and as soon as I got out of um, got out of chemo, I get my bloods checked every six months because it will come back. My consciousness will come back. You just don't know when or how. You know, come back fast, come back slow. We'll come back. So I just live live, live life, but I make sure I get my bloods done every six months, yeah. and that's and you know then then all of a sudden you know I had a bit of a weight problem as well. I got my weight it was up to about 140 k's because of my I done a lot of coaching and and uh, <clears throat> coaching I was carrying a bit of weight because I was in the pub business as well mm-hmm. so I got that under control got the weight back down and and I'm back down to around about 111 112 kilos basically close to my plane weight yeah and I'm trying to stay here yeah. so I'm eating good food and that's why I'm here today because <laughs> we're cooking real good food wholesome healthy food from the house. From the house. From the house yeah. and not fast takeaways. Yeah. And I think, and that's the message that we want to try and promote is really just say, hey, guys, you know, I mean, I've been there myself. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a nice place to be obese. I've recently been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. I'm not proud of myself. I'm not proud of the fact that I let myself go. And, you know, you've had a much bigger challenge than I have. But I suppose the message is very clear. Look after your health. Do everything you can, and I, I mean, this match fit has been a, a huge part of um, promoting men's health, especially True. and in what you've gone through. And I love the way that you've gone out there and just preached the message. Hey, guys, you know, don't take your health for granted. Don't make the mistake of leaving everything too late because you. It's not only you that suffers. It's what I'm going through at the moment. My family suffers as well, along with you. And that's what they don't see. Yes. You see, they see themselves just having a good time. They're big, they're probably 140, 150 kilos, and they yahoo, yahoo, still drinking up a storm, still eating lots of food, and then it'll come and kick them in the backside. Yes. And so then all of a sudden they've left four kids behind, something like that, and then mum's got to get on and have, will she have the same quality of life again? No. Because the major breadwinner's gone. Yes. You know? And so he's gone and gone forever, never going to come back. What would you message if you're looking right down the lens and you've got people just uh, tuning in here? What's your message about health and how important it is? Probably, probably two or three things. The first one is eat good food, real food, food that your grandmother probably would have eaten or your great-grandmother, not this crap in the packets in the, in, in the, in the stores or fast foods. But we're all... We're all human. We make mistakes every now and then. So, you know, having McDonald's, you know, once a week or once a month, it's not going to kill you. 
you know, or Kentucky Fried Chicken and those sort of things. Once a once a month, it's not going to hurt you. So because if you're eating, on average, we have three meals a day, on average. You know, and so if we eat healthy meals for twenty of them, and we have three poor ones in that week, well, that's not going to kill you. Mm. You know, but if you're eating ten of them, you know, every day, once, every, day. every day, you know, <laughs> and then then you're going to start, you know, sliding and putting on the weight and things like that. But uh, so, eat good food, real food. Um, go to the doctor at least once a year to get your get get your health checked out by your doctor. Yeah. And exercise is medicine for the tenant. You know? Remember that word? Exercise. Yes. <laughs> I'm going through it at the moment with bunker right. management at the moment. And it's, I, you know, four months ago, I was 165.9 kilos. And I walked out of the hospital and I said, no, nah, never again. You know, I've had enough of the chronic pain, the the the, 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 the all the the gout attacks and the high blood pressure, and I'm, I'm just sick of it. And you know what? It's, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair for my wife and my children it, for them to see me suffer because they're going to suffer along with me. And, you know, it's, and, and this is what I wanted to ask you, you know, but, you know, there are a lot of people watching, a lot of people admiring us as ex-All Blacks. Yeah. In their eyes, they have this vision of, oh, our superheroes, they never fail, they never mm. make mistakes, and they never, you know, um, fail. But we do. In, in, in my, in, in rugby terms, I've dropped the ball in my health, mm. and, I, and I take responsibility, and I'm on the first with my hand up. I mean, but we live carelessly at the same time, you know? And, and I think the, 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 the truth is that there are a lot of guys out there, men oh. that are, are leaders in their family, they're the head of the family, but we're living carelessly. I mean, really. We're living in a time where we're actually quite affluent. We've got a lot of excess money nowadays, you know. And so what we do is we, we're frivolous and we actually spend it on rubbish, you know. And a lot of that's going out to eat out and it could be crap food. Yeah. If you're going to eat out, eat out at reputable restaurants that do nice cuisine, you know. Yeah. Not volume of food, like going to a Chinese restaurant all the time and having volumes of food because yes. that's what you don't want. You sort of eat just your normal plate of food, you know, about that big, just a normal, not one of those big plates like that, a smaller <laughs> one, you know. <laughs> so what you're saying is, you know, we live, we don't live to eat, but eat to live. That's right. Eat to live, but by, that, by saying that, what is the type of lifestyle you would want when you get to retirement age, 60 to 65, retirement age, 65 for me. So when we get to retirement age, how do you want to be living for the next 15 years, which takes you to, to 80? You know, that's the thing is, you want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, because you've got to 80, you've done a really good job. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're fit, you can still walk, you got your, you know, your mind's you know, focused, you got your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. To look after, and they, you're the you're the rangatira of the family. Yes, you see, yes. and so thing is, and everyone looks at the male as being the rangatira of the family, but our women are as well. Yes, and so it's not just about men; it's about women too, looking after their health. And so thing is, um, so it's about that's that partnership for life, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and we do it together. So you know, and I think that that's that's really one of the things I like saying. You know, it's about. What do you want to be like when you're 60, 65? If you're going to be overweight, the chances are you're going to be struggling 
through your retirement, big time. Mm. You know, you don't want to be struggling. That's the time. You've just worked your life. The last, you know, 50 years of your life you've been working. Now's the time to sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Let the kids, like I'm letting my, my kids are coming into my business now, they're going to take over. I let them do the hard yards. I just come in for the meetings and say, yes, yes, things like that, you know. Help them out as long as they pay me. <laughs> you know, they, they say, oh, Dad, we're getting a four, ten bucks an hour, that's all. <laughs> but, you know, it's about giving giving, the, giving them the worries now. Yes. They're in the, my kids are, they're, my oldest is 40 next year. Yes. You know, the other one's 37 next year. So let them take over, you know. Sir Buck Shelford, I'm blown away by your honesty. I'm blown away by your sincerity about your health and also the health of all of you guys out there. I say this because as men, we we don't open up as much as we could or should or would. We think that being a man is all about being tough and hiding your emotions away and not asking for help and reaching out. But here's a, a wonderful example of, you know, don't worry about what people think about you. Worry about you know, your loved ones, love about how they see you, because they're the ones that uh, they grow up with you. And I, I remember my Indian friend, Sachin, and he said, you know the difference, Inga, between us Indians and you Polynesians? I said, tell me, Sachin. He said, we grow up as men, all we do is work for our families. And we make sure that at the end of our lives, we live, a, we leave a will and not a bill. <laughs> he said, yes, you know, we, we leave a will and not a bill, you know. And he was concerned because he saw the, the I suppose, the, the, the challenge of uh, several islands of having to pay through your bills left, you know, and the family having to carry all this. And it's a huge burden, you know, yeah. after they've gone. Yeah. I say this also because... Unfortunately for me, my father died at 48 years of uh, 48 years of age. He had a stroke and left 15 children to look after my mother. That's a huge burden for my dear mother to bring us all up. You know, thankfully we got through it. But I don't think you know, like you said. You know, it's 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 not right to bring children into the world and then you kick the bucket. Check out. <laughs> yeah, you check out. Leaving the hotel. Yes. So, you know, and here we have have a, a, a beautiful man that's opened up and he's used his, not only his talent, but used his own experience on his own health issues to be open and honest and, and not be afraid to ask for help. Um, so, Buck, and I really appreciate your honesty. I mean, look, we can sit here and talk all night about anything and everything, but I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So these are not the same again, buckle. Holding my head again, making my way through crowded thoughts. Sometimes it's hard to get out of it. Broke my heart in the dark. I was just trying to feel something. Falling asleep to the sound of it. Always used to let you clean up the messes Down on my knees, but I couldn't stand up on my own Turns out sometimes you're stronger alone Bringing out the fight, yeah, bring on all the lightning Cause I'm 
looking for a hero, look inside the mirror. I find one. Oh, carry the hurt when it gets too hard. Pick it up, dust it off. When I fall down 11, I get up 12. Don't need nobody else. Yeah, I can save myself. Got burned, but I learned. Our scars make us who we are. Now I'm ten feet tall over my demons. Remind me, no one's got me like myself. Yeah, I love me without any help. I'm the best thing to believe in. So I'm bringing out the fight. Yeah, bring on all the lightning. Cause I. Oh 